Hello! You're listening to The Dollop. This is a weekly or bi-weekly historical podcast. Each week, I read... I had to do that really slow because you were typing. Each <laughs> week, I read a story from American history to my friend... Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. You did great, too. You really stretched yeah, that. I, I that finished the text. Yeah, you're so. welcome. God, do you want to look at a dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Gareth. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakey of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> And then, um, then, go ahead, shout the date. I'm not going to shout it this time. Just shout the fucking date. You know, sometimes you can't just like pigeonhole me into something and say that's what I always do. I'm not pigeonholing you. That's January 19th, 1958. William Thomas Kincaid III was born in Sacramento, California. Okay. To Bill and Marianne. Okay. In those early years, Bill Kincaid bounced from job to job. Patrick Kincaid, Thomas's brother, said, quote, he'd go off on these flights of fancy about what he was going to do with his life. He wanted to sail around the Sea of Cortez. He had this weird little boat that in no way was ready, nor was he a sailor. Sailor. He had a hat and a map. <laughs> Wait, man, you got to start somewhere, baby. <laughs> Wait, is this the brother or the... That was the brother of the okay. guy. This is about. <laughs> that's, that's and his, the dad, his dad's got a boat. And a hat and a map. Well, look. And he's going to sail around the Sea of Cortez. Look, he has the map. You know what? What's wrong with a man and a plan? Yeah. That, this is the guy who's on CNN now. Like They're like, the Coast Guard is still searching. Day nine. Bill frequently came home drunk. Good man. So he's, he drank like a sailor, too. And, and when Thomas was six, Bill abandoned his family. Perfect. I'm going to go where there's liquor. Goodbye. Farewell. I'm taking the hat and map with me. Here's the thing about you guys. You're a family, and I don't want to be that. You know what's getting in the way of my life as a wino? You guys. Goodbye. (laughs) So Marion was left with nothing. Thomas, his mother, sister, and brother moved to the small town of Placerville, California. Okay. Now, that's my grandparents had a house there. It's a very small town. Okay. Uh, Foothill Town. During the gold rush, it was a big place, that kind of deal. Okay. Tom loved to draw. Drawing made him stand out, gain attention and approval, and was a means of escape. Which he he desperately needed. Oh, boy, howdy. He used to draw caricatures in school. There was a teacher that everyone hated, and kids paid Tom to draw a funny picture of him. Okay. He started selling caricatures... Of all the teachers, the kids didn't like, and he realized that he could make money doing what he loved to do. After that, he was known as the kid who can draw. Catchy. That's a really... <laughs> how, how did they come up with that? I don't know. They put a lot of work into it. The originality it, they, in this yeah, era is yeah, just spot it's on. amazing. I wish we could go back to that time of such amazing ideas. When Tom was 11 years old, a local painter by the name of Charles Bell took him on as an apprentice and showed him the first basic techniques he needed to master in order to become a painter. A hat and a map. <clears throat> Quote, there was a darkness in my heart, Whoa. said Thomas Kincaid. I had anger and frustration at the world around me. I had a chip on my shoulder. 
I was in a stinky little town and I wanted so badly to be raised in New York where all the museums were. I was embarrassed by my home because it was so shabby. And among my friends, I was the only kid from a broken home. Mm-hmm. Poor little Tom Town. So he's not having a good time. I like how he starts it. Yep. In 1974, Glenn Wessels, a fine art painter and a founding member of the Bay Area Figurative School, moved to the neighborhood. Glenn was in his late 70s, and he needed help around the house and studio and a companion. Now 16, Kincaid gladly stepped in as a helping hand and apprentice to the artist. Wessels insisted that Kincaid study art at the University of California at Berkeley, where Wessels had also attended and taught. Kincaid's roommate was a young artist named James Gurney, who went on to do Dinotopia. Ah. Uh, who became, uh, they became good friends and fellow pranksters. Uh-oh. They dressed in identical workman's overalls with the same name tag and called each other Jackson. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> you like that one? Oh, that's just straight up awesome. <laughs> Jackson? Yeah, Jackson. People are probably like, what is happening? <laughs> they would wear uh, their uniforms into biker bars, sit down, and start sketching people without their permission Whoa. or risking a brawl. The Jackson 2. The Jack. Wow, they were crazy. We're going to draw you without you knowing. That's fine. Goodbye. Okay, nobody gives a shit. Another great prank, Jackson. Ah, take that. Their stunts included dive bombing into pools and pouring a shellac letter J on a friend's doorstep and setting it on fire. Okay. Well, you know. Yeah, they're not great. Cute. They're not great. Cute. It's no cherry bomb in the toilet. After two years at Berkeley, Kincaid decided he wasn't the right fit for the school's liberal environment and decided to leave to continue his studies at the Art Center of Design in Pasadena. Okay. There he would sport a beret everywhere he went. Ooh, that's a bold move. <laughs> a beret's the scooter of the head. That is a that is a bold statement you're putting out there for people to judge you on. Yeah, and it's a lot of judgment. Comes oh, my God. You, I, I, I had a, a set at the Improv a couple of weeks ago, and there was a man in the audience with a beret oh. on. I couldn't do material. No, you can't. No. I was, no, he's got a beret he on. He wore a beret. It sang so much. A non-Frenchman wearing a beret. Or a non-mime. Yeah. Not, you, yeah. You say, you're saying so much. It's bold. James Gurney followed him, and the two rented an apartment in a rundown complex in East Los Angeles. On the side, Kincaid delivered pizza on his motorcycle. Kincaid was still in love with his high school girlfriend, Nanette. Okay. They had met when they were 12 in Placerville. Tom heard that her new relationship had soured, and he wooed her back. Then one day in 1980, while sketching a nude model in an art class, Hmm. the face of Jesus appeared before Thomas, which inspired him to become a born-again Christian. All right. So (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I think I got caught up in all the good times we were just having. And what? I forgot what the podcast is about, <laughs> and um, and I shouldn't have done that. Okay, so he's he's sketching a nude lady, sketching a nude lady, and, and then Jesus is like, as- "Bro, whoa, what you doing, bro? Hey, look at her, huh? Hey, this is the J man. You know, I made those. That's a vagina. But seriously, <laughs> come over to my side. But for real, my dad would love to talk to you get about a couple of things. Let's get down with Jesus. Take this pamphlet. When I talk about my faith and my art, I see them as inseparable. I am a faith profession i'm in a faith profession if you think about it the world is full of darkness and you know what people need is a little fight the paintings are little worlds that people can step into god became my art agent uh how you doing i represent tom kincaid (laughs) hold this is god yes i'll hold 
Good lord. Good me. Yep, God's taking 20%. Uh, just off the top, just I, off I'm the top. getting Tom most of his gigs. Yeah. We have an exhibition coming up. But uh, After two years at the Art Center, Thomas and Jim decided to quit their studies and travel across the country riding trained boxcars like hobos. Oh, Jesus. And These sketching. two should have not met up. <laughs> Ever. How did they not become serial killers? Yeah. No, this is... And sketching everything they saw. So that's... It's hard on a train to sketch everything you see, too. It, yeah. Whoa, tree! Whoa, cow! Whoa, grass! Whoa, fence! Look, here's my new picture. It's all blurry. Yeah, it's just a bunch of blurs. But that's great. So now they're hobos. Yep. Uh, Hobros, it's called. Kincaid started calling himself the painter of light. Interesting. A name he would later trademark. (laughs) No need to. (laughs) Thomas and Annette were married on May 2nd, 1982, and moved into a small house in Placerville, the stinky little town he hated. Uh-huh. Nanette, now a practicing nurse, supported them both in those early days, and he painted l- small landscape paintings, which he sold in parking lots at local supermarkets. I mean, she had like her friends had to just be like uh, throwing painter of light under the bus. So, what's painter of light doing? Just sitting on his ass painting while oh, you work a double? Did he sell? Did he sell a picture of a cottage? I can't tonight. Painter of light and I and I are going to the Olive Garden. So, <laughs> can you just call him Thomas? No, the painter of light, and I, it's the painter of light's birthday in about a month. But we do like birthday months, uh-huh. so the whole month I'm making it about the painter of light. Okay, but can you call him Thomas? Who the painter of light? Okay, yeah, I mean no. Okay, yep. In 1987, Thomas Kincaid went off to the Carmel Sunday Art Fair, taking his supplies to set up an easel at the fair, so people could watch him paint and buy his art. Hey, we've all said the most fun thing in the world is to watch paint dry. Oh my God, what a joy! There he met Rick Barnett, a vacuum cleaner salesman. Hey, want to buy a cube? Who offered to represent Kincaid's work if he would agree to make Rick his exclusive art dealer. Wait, but... Yep, you heard that all correctly. Isn't isn't <laughs> God going to be pissed? Well, I mean... You, are other... you are leaving me for a vacuum cleaning salesman? <laughs> <laughs> I created the goddamn universe! Look, I just need to move on to a new agency. What? He's... Well, he must be very good. (laughs) In the summer of 1988, after Nanette and Thomas had their first daughter, Thomas and Rick Barnett met Ken Roche at a wedding, where Kincaid told Ken about his desire to create a business of reproductions with his paintings. Rick Barnett was selling originals to galleries, but Thomas wanted to make lithograph copies and greatly expand the number of times he could sell an image. How Ken, Christian Ken was in. He decided to join the business. Jesus, These he guys. must have been drink. It must have been open bar. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, for like, sure. I'm a painter, but I don't want to sell just my paintings. Well, I, I have a sell- legitimate career going on, but fuck that. Let's sell God drawings. <laughs> yeah, you want to dance? <laughs> yeah. By 1991, after selling lithographs most at mostly art fairs, the company signed a deal with the Bradford Exchange, and Kincaid's images went on sale on eight and a half inch collectible plates. Wait a minute. Okay, so wait. So they're selling lithographs. So, at but the art lithograph fairs. is basically just like it's a, a. It's a copy of your painting. Okay, but it it's it is how big are they? They're the same size as whatever the painting is. I okay. think. Okay, so just. He's just selling a copy. But of a lithograph thing. is just a copy. Yeah, basically, yeah. Okay. Um. So now he's selling eight and a half inch collectible plates, which is always. 
the sign of a great artist. That's that's what that's, I mean, that's where you, the goal. Uh, the goal. Look, the goal is to either get on mugs or plates. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. You want to be something a fast food place gives away. Right. Or doing like a like a toilet. Or like a gas like a gas like something you can buy at a gas station yes. near toothpaste. Yeah. Or a lighter. Something something really great. <laughs> yeah. Someone that art belongs on. Yeah, well, look, art belongs on plates. The thing right that you now, eat off of. Right now. This is the getter done of painters. Right, yes. <laughs> this is painter the light guy. With the eight and a half inch collectible plate, sales doubled overnight. Oh, that's so weird. And- <laughs> How, like, it's just, it's always a shame when, like, someone's dumb idea works oh, yeah. and it shouldn't have. Like, I remember watching this thing on the guys who started this clothing line called Happy. Yeah. Or something like stupid, like, Be Happy. And it was just like a stick figure and watch, and they made millions. Of course they did. Uh, and then watching them talk about it, they're like, you know, it's just, and you're just like, oh, you fucking, no, you, made you, you fucking... stepped in shit, okay? Yeah. You stepped in shit, you lucky asshole. Uh, so, made hundreds of thousands per year. In that same year, Thomas and Annette's second daughter was born. Uh, by 19- the daughter of light. By 1994, it's three years after the commemorative plates, the company had reached $30 million in annual sales. What? And for the first time, an artist went public on the stock market. What? Because that's, again... That's what all artists seek out. Dude, God must have been like, you know what? I guess we weren't the right match. I was the wrong gentleman I was you. The, with the, heaven was the wrong agency. I'm sorry. All I did was make the world. <laughs> anyway. But I didn't have the stupid thought process that you have. But I wasn't a drunk vacuum cleaner salesman, now was I? Kincaid said he wanted to do Christmas ornaments, collections of miniature villages with cottages that would light up. Stockings, tree skirts, coasters, wrapping paper, and Christmas lights. I want to be the painter of Christmas, he'd tell a business partner. Oh, boy. (laughs) That's a little grandiose. Yeah, I want to be the painter of Christmas. In 1995, the executive vice president of their company saw a demonstration of a new process called the canvas transfer system. Oh, boy. In which a photograph could be transferred onto a canvas, creating the look and feel of a real painting. Mm Mm-hmm. The process created a work of art, bumps and all, nearly indistinguishable from the original. Okay. Kincaid, quote, will hire some artists to retouch every painting and make it original. Oh, that's... What what an asshole. What? It's got a little something different. Because somebody just puts one brush stroke on it, it's unique? Hey, now. Yeah. Hey, now you. Hey, now. Hey, now you. Rick Barnett suggested that they call them highlighters. Thomas nodded and smiled back at him. Master highlighters. (laughs) <laughs> oh, God. The highlighter artists were mostly Hispanic and Asian hourly workers who worked in a paint-by-number style. Oh, cool. They would add a red dot to a tree here or a dash of white to an interior light there. So I'm picturing like where Kathy Lee Gifford had her clothes made. <laughs> Except... Yes. With... It's a sweatshop for art. Yeah. They've, they've created the worst thing you can do with art. Cool. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And he's a man of God? Yeah. Okay. Very, a very uh, born-again Christian young man. Yes. Within a few months, the company opened a large flagship Thomas Kincaid Gallery in the Valley Fair Mall in Santa Clara. Thomas and Annette had their third daughter. From Kincaid's biography, written by a business partner, Eric Kusky, who discusses a meeting with Hallmark Company representatives. Oh, God. The Hallmark people were quite conservative, and Tom and Annette com- complemented their values perfectly. They appeared to be the poster couple for what Hallmark stood for. Nanette was the perfect wife supporting her husband and did it out of conviction and belief. She knew just how to present herself. And 
support Tom in his role as the legendary Christian artist. <sighs> she toned down his jokes if they got too boisterous. Sp- oh, that Thomas. <laughs> he had quite a tongue, he did. <laughs> did he say pussy? He didn't mean that. Pussy. He meant kitty, kitty, cat. <laughs> Uh, and she spoke of him glowingly as a husband and father. After the dinner, we shook hands with the Hallmark folks and said our goodnights. As they left the restaurant, Tom nudged me and two other men toward the back of the building where there were two limos waiting. He told Nanette we were heading out on the town. Confused, I heard him tell her he would see her later back at the hotel. She got into her limo and looked out at me. And I remember the look on her face. In fact, I've never forgotten it. It left an indelible impression. I saw a mixture of sadness and concern, but no anger. She spoke to me carefully and directly. Be careful. Oh, shit. Then we drove off in our own limo. Wait. (laughs) Okay. For all the bullshit I've talked about this guy, what an awesome move. Who the fuck? What a fucking pimp move. Just a Christian. Two limos. One to send the wife out. Yeah. Want to fucking go on the town. Which she is clearly used to. And she knows. And she's like, oh, there goes my town. And the only thing she knows to say is, be careful. <laughs> this is how the Hangover 2 should have started. <laughs> and Tom looked as if he felt he could finally be himself. As he thrust a beer toward me, he said, we're going to have some fun. Oh, this guy. He, he called to the limo driver and asked him what the best bar in town was. We ended up at Harpo's in the college town area of kansas city the place was jam-packed with 20 somethings drinking beer and cocktails the music was pumping and tom looked like he was in in his element isn't this fun he laughed knocking back his scotch and ordered another one. Oh, what this is quite a turn <laughs> we're gonna do some great business with hallmark aren't we and we're gonna have fun doing it then he suddenly got up and jumped on the bar he started dancing yelling at the top of his lungs drinks on me for everyone in the house a huge cheer went up in the whole bar. A hundred or more kids clapping and laughing. Tom handed the bartender his Platinum American Express card. Wow. I mean, huh? I'm, I'm torn in all sorts of directions right now. <laughs> I don't know which way's up with this fella. Thomas and Annette's fourth uh, daughter was born in 1998. By the year 2000, Kincaid was everywhere. You could no longer buy his originals. But you could purchase his originals. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Woe's me. Yeah, he's probably not even painting anymore. I would yeah. imagine he just painted like a hundred, and I was like, oh, okay, let's just sit back and watch this shit work. Fuck it. Yeah. Uh, you could purchase a canvas-backed lithograph, a plate, a snow globe, or a blanket to cuddle under while you lounge in a Thomas Kincaid lazy boy chair. Wow. You could write letters on a Thomas Kincaid notepad and pad and drink coffee from a cup decorated with one of his paintings. Wow. In California, there were 78 signature galleries carrying only Kincaid's work. Jesus Christ. I mean, okay, literally. Okay, so when I was, I was uh, this was around this time, I was in uh, a place called Larkspur, and I walked in, I was walking on this mall, I was waiting for someone, and I walked into this gallery. Well, the name is very familiar. Yeah, of course. You, is, is it because there there's stores that... You'll, it, it's there's, still that's everywhere. what it is, right? It's still everywhere. Okay, yeah. But I walked in this gallery, and there was a fireplace, and it was just the cheesiest fucking horse shit uh-huh. you had ever seen. I was just walking around going, what in the fuck is happening? And I remember very distinctly just being like, this is fucking nuts. It's almost like Scientology art. It, yeah, a little bit. It's like a cult. Uh, a cult. Like you just... 
you're in, you don't ask any questions, you just get the fucking collection, and then 10 years later, you're like, what the fuck was I doing what in the just, 90s? I'm sorry, what happened? <laughs> I was deep into the shitty artists. Oh, yeah. This was my grunge. <laughs> His media arts group devoted solely uh, to the art of Kincaid was on the New York Stock Exchange. The art world didn't view Kincaid as an artist. He was a brand. He was the McDonald's of painting. His fans, mostly Christian, believed that his art was a triumph of populism and wholesome family values over the usual elitism and intellectual snobbery of art. I mean, you really are so accurate calling him the Larry Cable guy, Larry the Cable guy of paintings. <laughs> this is get her done. Yeah. This is the get her done of yeah. paintings. Well, you don't get it. Oh, no, no, no. You don't get it. No, I get it. Yeah, I get it. Oh, I get it. Oh, believe me. All I do is get. Although Kincaid said he did not. By the way, I, I knew that guy starting out, Larry the Cable Guy. He was a San Francisco if comic, and then one day he just went up in a cable outfit, and then you, all of a sudden he was fucking off and running. People should definitely Google videos of Larry the Cable Guy before he was Larry the Cable yeah. Guy, because it's fucking hilarious. Yeah. A very nice guy. I'm sure he's very sweet. Horrible Harper, apparently. <sighs> Good Lord. <laughs> Hey, those fucking commercials that we need to see. It's cool how they don't make sense. Yeah, no, what's cool about him is there's a jet ski, and that's all I know. Well, he goes through a hoop of fire. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, exactly. Much like the hoop in your esophagus. <laughs> Although Kincaid said he did not market specifically to Christians, his limited edition canvas prints bear the familiar Christian fish symbol and are inscribed with a biblical reference, hmm. John 3.16. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. He is also fond of quoting Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before men. Well, those are clues that they might be Christian-leaning. I believe in a very simple way of life, Kincaid said in, his 2000, in 2000 in his home, a short drive away from the San Jose factory that employs 450 people who mass-produces lithographs. <laughs> Uh, this is already a fun statement. <laughs> I am a symbol of good life that people dream of and maybe haven't been able to achieve. I'm not perfect, but I have a happy family, a happy life. My paintings are illustrations of that. The disintegration of culture starts with the artist. I'm on a crusade to turn the tide in the arts, to restore dignity to the arts, and by extension, to the culture. I'm going to paint our way out of this shit. Good luck. I'm going to paint our way out of whores. Good luck. And and fornication. But yet, he's... Hey, what? He's getting a limo for the wife. What? You so don't mind your business. The, he really is just like an evangelical preacher. Will you just look at the pretty picture of the cottage? He's like the guy who wanted the okay. $400 million private yeah. jet because God told him to get okay, it. Okay, you want to take him down because you don't believe in Jesus. I also want to maybe go to Harpo's with him. Kendall Kincaid's devoted fans made him a wealthy man. In fiscal 1999, Media Arts posted revenues of $126 million. Kincaid and Annette, who owed 27% of the stock, which made them worth an estimated $30 million. Kincaid's appearances on QVC Home Shopping Network ah. to, sell his print, to sell his prints or his book, Light Posts for Living, it's a great book, Yeah, were very successful. One 1999 QVC show, 10,000 copies of a book were sold every minute. What? His art sold upwards of $1 million an hour. Oh, my God. He had to reduce his personal appearances at galleries and bookstores because so many fans were arriving days early and camping out in RVs and inconveniencing the neighborhood. It's when you first... Hey, honey, we're going to go see Kincaid! Ugh. Ugh, I mean, driving you, their RV. When you tap into the RV people, oh, you're an artist. Yeah, 
you've you've found you're an arvidist well done thank you um the second you started talking about him i the first thing that popped in my head was home shopping network yeah like it i He's the Kardashians of Which just shows you the level of quality we're talking about. (laughs) Exactly. It's just shitty enough for the morons. It's for it's for grandmas. Yeah. I would like that. Oh, that's the pretty cottage. It's got a biblical quote on the back. See, that makes me feel good. Not like that Picasso. Dare hand me the phone and the credit card. I'm gonna buy this book about light posts. In 2001, Kincaid Kincaid was asked about his opinion of Picasso. Oh boy. I don't believe in time. <laughs> what? It's a great opener. <laughs> I think I'm good there. I don't believe in time. I don't believe in time that he will be regarded as the titan he is now. He is a man of great talent who, to me, used to create three Picassos before breakfast before he could get 10000 for each of them. Yep. What is this slam against Picasso? That I he believe... didn't have migrant workers putting red dots on trees? <laughs> and that he would crank out three so he could get money. He's he basically He's basically He's basically saying that Picasso is a junk artist who's just selling it for cash. Well Ironic. Pot, kettle. Why don't yeah. you guys sit down and have a talk, huh? About his galleries, he said, Our galleries are soft. You don't echo when you walk in. It's comfortable. There's a fireplace burning. There's a person sitting here who's not an art expert. We don't hire art experts. We hire people who love art and love people. And when you walk in, you're greeted, and the experience is entirely different. Oh, this just... We hire... You know what a fucking idiot is? Okay, so we got carpet and a fireplace and a fucking idiot. Okay, and then you come into our gallery and you walk in and you go, hey, I'm a fucking idiot, too. You're not going to hear an echo on that statement. You ain't going to hear someone talking shit about, oh, this art is different because of blah, blah, blah. It, you're just going to look at a painting. and goes, that make you feel good, Tom? It's kind of like Bieber fans. Yeah. All right. That's all I got. My <laughs> wife and I do pray over these paintings. Ugh. And we do believe that God can speak through beauty. What I paint touches on foundational life values, home, family, peacefulness. Of his fans, he said, they're like a cult. (laughs) (laughs) I just said that in my face. I said that. I just said that. The cult of Kincaid. My my fans name babies after me. People are moved by what I do. If the critics want to attack, let them attack. I must, as Christ himself said, be about my father's work. Larry the Cable Guy. Larry the Cable Guy. Larry the Cable Guy. And of course, like Christ, the next thing to do was to build a Thomas Kincaid subdivision. Oh, my God. He's doing Christ's work. No, he's not. He's, building he's doing homes. Kincaid's work. He's doing home, building, now he's building homes for the poor. He's building a cul-de-sac for the poor? He's building a subdivision of homes. For people to have for free? Well, no. I mean, Yeah, gonna, no, he's building, he's making money. Well, they're going to pay for him. They're going to buy a house, but he's but he's doing it for... <laughs> oh, yeah, in the name of God. Maybe they wouldn't have a house if they couldn't. Well, they'd probably buy one somewhere else. Okay, I mean, it's a valid point, but yeah, this is for Christ. No, that's not a valid point. More than 100 homes, all modeled on his cottages, were built in Vallejo, California, outside San Francisco, called The Village at Hiddenbrook. <laughs> where the hell is it? This brook is... Where is the brook? Kincaid said, my goodness, Walt Disney wasn't satisfied just making a movie. 
He said, I want to invite people to step into that world. And he built Disneyland. We view my work and my cultural identity in a way as a hair to the Walt Disney kind of tradition. It's a subdivision. <laughs> yeah, just like Walt Disney did. He built a subdivision of a theme park. Yeah. With rides. This is the same thing, but it's how I, I don't think it is, Tom. It's the same thing, but it's houses for God. Uh-huh. Okay. Oh, man. This is just like the book. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> to reach the village at Hiddenbrook, a Thomas Kincaid painter of light trademark community, you drive 30 minutes northeast of San Francisco. There is a freeway signboard with the slogan, Get Away Every Day, the Village at Hiddenbrook, okay. which features photographs of green grass, golfers, and steak dinners. Mm. Just, I mean, really, it just sounds like, uh, pam- like a hotel pamphlet. Sounds, yeah, heaven, I heard you. Hiddenbrook is I a... Say, I didn't say heaven. Hiddenbrook is a development of 10 communities clustered together on 1,300 acres with a golf course at the center. The village was marketed as, according to its marketing material, quote, a neighborhood of cottage-style homes that are filled with warmth and personality, and, quote, garden-style landscaping with meandering pathways, benches, water features, and secret places. Meandering pathways? Thomas Kincaid's village opened in September 2002 and drew a crowd of more than 2,000 people. Oh, God. I mean, uh, can we just leave this country already? Jesus. Kincaid said, this is a dream come true. We have believed for many years that the attachment people feel to the paintings could be embodied in a real place. He also led a prayer where he asked God to make the subdivisions a home to, quote, all face, all backgrounds, and all family descriptions. But only Christian. But not the blacks. Not the blacks or the Jews. Um, and everyone got a look at the generic track housing. A bland collection of homes with no church, no cafe, and no town square. Just like the paintings. That's what he said. None of the homes look anything like Kincaid's paintings. <laughs> Hello. The only store in the neighborhood is a Thomas Kincaid gallery. Do you have food? No. Kincaid Want a did, painting? Kincaid did not actually design the homes. Oh, well, well, well. This plot thickens. Instead, he licensed his name to a development firm called Taylor Woodrow, which designed the homes. Fran Leach, marketing director for Taylor Woodrow, said, We couldn't build the Thomas Kincaid home because it'd be priced prohibitively. When we had to pick and choose Kincaid-like details, we chose gobbled roofs, dormers, and white picket fences. We really tried to incorporate a 1920s look, older feel, a slower time, those sorts of things. There it is. Looks like shit, right? Yeah, I mean, really, that's what they're saying, like, right? Shittier, right? Shittier times. I mean, if you've ever seen, if you've ever been to Vallejo, it's just all tracked housing, and it just all looks like garbage. And if you have a vision of tracked housing in your head, that's exactly what these look like. <laughs> Gorgeous. Just like heaven's going to be. It's like when Glenn Beck built his own little city. Oh, you my God. It's exactly like yeah, that. Yeah, that, that, that's another Googleable thing. <laughs> Where he's like, this will be the town center where we'll all sit and talk. You're like, what, <laughs> buddy? Like, you, you. you didn't go to college. <laughs> the Sam School Chronicle visited the village in 2012. Residents see their homes and neighborhood as a unique and distinctive. Terry Booth, an original owner, said she brought her home because, quote, it didn't look like every other McMansion. It was shitty. We like the ambiance. Oh, it's shit. like one of his little villages. The lights have to be on at night. We feel safe. Lights have to be on at night? I mean, literally the only good fact she gave was that the lights have to be on at night, and I don't know what the upside really is. that just means that the lights have to be on at night. Well, and especially if you're in, if you're in the Christ area, like if you're in the Christ-a-sack, 
Well, who, you don't need the lights on. There's no crime. No, it should be shining all the time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, God's light will make the streets bright. From the Hidden Brook Times, published by Hidden Brook Property Owners Association, uh, spring 2015. Nude Hidden Brook, you have chosen to live in a wonderful community. There's no, there's so much going on here. We have four book clubs, a mother's group, a knitting club, a car club, regular golf groups, cocktail parties three times a year, and special dinners at the clubhouse, and an annual charity golf tournament. Renters can now find important information about living in Hindbrook on our website. As far as graffiti, Maria and Brett Andrews will continue to monitor and aggressively respond to any graffiti problems in Hindbrook. We are very lucky to have such dedicated people to do this work. The Hindbrook Golf Course, Comedy Night, Friday, March 27, 2015, $40 per person. Includes an <gasps> Italian buffet. Okay. <laughs> We've got some stuff to talk about. What's a, what? Uh, it's a very... They're, they're, okay. Uh-huh. First of all, their list could not be in a worse order. Mm-hmm. You don't lead with book club and then put cocktail party towards the end. I agree. That That's a no-go. I agree. Uh, also, so clearly there was a graffiti problem. Right? What's Vallejo? There's a lot of gangs up there. So, <laughs> so I getting the houses. The houses are getting tagged, <laughs> just like America. So I wouldn't brag. Uh, that was uh, that's something I'd leave out. I'd leave out the graffiti. You know, that's just like being like that's a little too upfront. Look, they were they were just explaining what's going on with the place. Uh, and by the way, we need to go to their comedy night. Oh fuck! We need to we go. need to get booked on their comedy yeah. night. Oh, God, I can, getting I can, booked? I can find out who books it. Oh, my God. I can find out who books it. Yeah. I Listen, if what we're talking about yeah. is going to do their comedy night... Yeah, that's what we're talking I about. I couldn't be more in. Hopefully, they don't listen to the podcast. Yeah, I doubt they do. All right, we'll figure it out. Ah. In August 2002, Larry and Susan D. Giovanni, owners of Minneapolis Twin Cities Kincaid Gallery, claimed Media Arts Group Incorporated diluted the value of their holdings by saturating the market and selling so much of his work on QVC. <laughs> the couple filed a lawsuit claiming that, the, that Kincaid's company misled and defrauded them of more than $1.3 million in life savings. Oh, my God. What this is- was just about one of 10 suits filed by Kincaid's galleries across the country against Kincaid's company. So, I'm sorry, though, but what... what? So, these galleries are independently Right, owned? so, yeah, so each gallery... It's like a franchise. So, it's, so, like a, it's like so a McDonald's franchise. Yeah, he franchised okay. out his art. And now these people are suing him for having a bad franchise model. So, so he, he franchised... Like, he franchised McDonald's. Right. And then he went on television and sold McDonald's. Right. So and no so one wanted to go to McDonald's. That, no, yeah, right. Except this McDonald's is edible forever. <laughs> Isn't it? For your heart. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's nutrition It's a happy meal for the soul. It just makes me glow. And you get a toy. You get a toy. It makes me glow. Um, so they filed a $1.3 million lawsuit. Uh, other, 10 other, more than 10 other did. In 2003, a private group led by Thomas Kincaid agreed to buy Media Arts Group Incorporated for $32.7 million. Media Arts posted a $6.2 million in losses for the first half of 2003 as revenue declined 49%. That's a lot. To $27 million from the year earlier period. Its stock price fell 12%. Media Arts first sold shares to the public in August 1994 at 7.25 each Kincaid bought them all back for $4. Jesus. A three-member panel of the American Arbitration Association ordered his company to pay 860,000 for defrauding the former owners 
of two failed Virginia galleries. The litigation also revealed ex-employees and other experiences with Thomas Kincaid. So he's a good guy. <laughs> he's a good guy. Though the panel said that Kincaid and other executives had created a certain religious environment designed to instill a special relationship of trust, the company often used terms such as partner, trust, Christian, and God to convey a sense of higher calling. Is that why he was so sort of wishy-washy as to the association with religion in his stuff? Because it is... I... I, I personally don't know if he was a Christian or if this was just all bullshit because it seems like a big marketing thing. What I would think is that he was a Christian, but then like any evangelical preacher, once you realize there's money that you can make, you become a businessman oh, yeah. over a man of religion. Well, that that definitely is the case. But then so but that's why he was almost a little like sensitive as far as being like these are Christian paintings. He would put Christian quotes on them or biblical verses. Yeah. But that's. That was all marketing. That's marketing. Yeah. And you can't get on the hook for saying that you're selling, like, and religious... Then, and then you're opening galleries telling people that this is for God. Right. It's a higher... Right. Like, he's, he's spreading... Well, when are people going to realize... spreading good. When are people going to realize God doesn't need money? Oh, no. He, he needs... He doesn't need no, money. he takes a cut. He needs a... He needs I'm a so fucking again. broke right now. He needs... God needs a lot of money. That's the weird thing about I just want to go get some soda and chips. He's so into cash. I just laid it all out there for Earth and the rest of the universe. He's so into cash. (laughs) Uh, I love to talk about my faith, Kincaid said in a deposition. I try to embrace people with love, unconditional love, like Christ did. The gallery owners allege that Kincaid allowed them to sink in order to drive down the stock price so he could buy back the company at a bargain basement price. Uh Uh-huh. Company executives and lawyers said that the steep drop in the number of signature galleries, which had dwindled to fewer than half of the 350 that that existed in 2003, was the result of the dot-com crash, a shrinking economy, and the September 11 attacks. Although Kincaid and others in the top positions prospered. Boy, what does this sound like? (laughs) A painting pyramid scheme? I mean, it's just really... I just sound so familiar. <laughs> From 1997 through May 2005, Kincaid earned $53 million for his work. Rick Barnett, executive vice president... Yeah, former, I know who Rick is. ...and former vacuum cleaner salesman. <laughs> Rick. It's weird, because now he's just sucking up profits. <laughs> Rick also made millions as the signature galleries were failing. Unbeknownst to the dealers, he got commissions on all art sold to them, average, averaging more than $2 million a year in 1999, 2000, 2001. Wow. So he was just... They, yeah. would, they would fucking jack up the price on the paintings and give him a fucking cut. Yeah. Gallery owners had to attend a program known as the Thomas Kincaid University. What? Which... <laughs> Universities really well, get tossed around. It's like the In and Out Burger College. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, the legal seafood you. <laughs> Which told them how much money they could make and how great Thomas was. I mean, Dave, this really is a pyramid scheme. Fuck Scientology. I took a bloodbath, an absolute bloodbath, said <laughs> a Los Angeles dealer. For we our were, sins. We were told success story after success story and of course the tom story and his christian views and the way he runs his life it, it it's <laughs> i don't mean to keep comparing it to bullshit yeah. are you in the middle of a quote no go ahead is that 
it's like those late night commercials where it's like a guy who's like, I made millions of yes. dollars by playing the stock market. Totally. Let me show you how. And it's like, no, he's making money by lying to you and you're paying him to hear his lies. You're not even getting paintings. Yeah. He's not even giving you fucking paintings. No. He's saying you can make tons of money by opening up a store. By and I'm going to give you a bunch of fucking posters. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Welcome You're the to- back section of a Spencer's Gifts, essentially. <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome to Poster Town. Yeah. You know Hallmark? You're the same thing. Yeah. Litigation and an investigation by the LA Times revealed a new side to Kincaid. Former employees said they often went with Kincaid to strip clubs and bars, where he frequently became intoxicated and out of control. And here he goes crawling back at my good books again. Mike Dandios, media art group's uh, senior director of retail operations recounted that the artist was so intoxicated during a performance of Siegfried and Roy in Las Vegas <laughs> that people nearby moved away from him. <laughs> I think it was Roy or Siegfried or whoever had a codpiece in his leotard. So That was show, a Siegfried and Roy. So when the show started, Tom just started yelling, codpiece, codpiece, codpiece. And he finally had to be quieted down by his mother and Nanette. He might have ordered the fish in his defense. That is true. He was probably just asking for the cod. He just wanted his fish. He was just saying, I want a piece of cod. So he's just getting shit canned at Siegfried and Roy and distracting the show. Yeah, pretty much. Hey, that's the painter of light. I think we got to make a a good and a bad list about this guy because there's some great (laughs) shit in here. At other times, Kincaid could be downright nasty. Uh, Daniel testified recalling an incident in which his wife tried to help the allegedly inebriated artist to his feet in a bar quote he had been falling down and he fell off the stool and he was laying on the ground and just looked it up at her and flipped to the bird and told her fuck you several times oh my god <laughs> paint this oh. uh, here's a painting for you you fucking uh, bitch here's a finger painting yeah, fuck you <laughs> uh, you asshole Tom Tom this isn't very Christ like <laughs> Christ would have told you to go fuck yourself I love when people get drunk like so drunk and like you're trying to help them they're like you fucking are you you're trying to hurt me I'm just trying to get you <laughs> off oh, the yeah, floor fuck off you don't know me I want to get you off the floor you're trying to fuck with me I'm not falling for your bullshit okay I just want to get back to the... Now, help me get off the floor, you fucking bitch. (laughs) Kincaid also enjoyed what he called ritual territory marking. Oh, boy. According to Terry Shepard, a former vice president. That's what Kincaid called peeing on things outside. Yeah, I figured as much. (laughs) I I didn't think he was going around with, like, ribbons. In a deposition, the artist alluded to his practice of urinating outdoors, saying he, quote, grew up in the country where it was common. When pressed about the allegedly, by the way, the Placerville is not the country. Well, just it's, everybody knows. It's just a small town. That's not an excuse either. Like, I did it when I was a child. That's not an Fair excuse. Enough. You do start to use toilets after Yeah, you grow up. <clears throat> when pressed about allegedly relieving himself in a hotel elevator in Las Vegas, Kincaid I mean, said it might have happened. Quote, there may have been some ritual territory marking going on, but I don't recall it. Wow. Uh, now it's creepy. Now to hear that that was a ritual territory, a, a hotel elevator. Yes. Come on. Take the next one. <laughs> I've been marking this I've one. I've already marked this one, Kincaid. Who's a winner? <laughs> This also happened in the late 1990s outside of the Disneyland Hotel in Anaheim. 
Now, that's an extremely expensive hotel to go to. It's a very fancy hotel. It's an even a more expensive toilet. And this was witnessed by Shepard. Quote, this one's for you, Walt, Kincaid said late one night as he urinated on a Winnie the Pooh figure. Oh, my God. <laughs> Winnie the Pete? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's classic heir to Disney stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah. He was probably just making the big D with his piss over and over again. Here you go, Walt, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. S- drink my piss, Pooh Bear. Psychologically, if you really broke this down, if I say I'm the heir to you, then I'm peeing on my own work. <laughs> you want some honey, Pooh Bear? Basically, I'm peeing on myself and how I feel about me. Pooh Bear want dick, honey? Kincaid's memory was also funny was when he was asked about a signing party in Indiana in August 2002. Oh, boy. After the larger group dispersed, Kincaid and others moved into a smaller room for a private signing with a Michigan gallery owner and some of his employees. Oh, man. Champagne was served and then hard liquor. At one point, Kincaid pulled the, the men in the room about their preferences in women's anatomy. Oh, boy. Quote, he was having a conversation with the men in the room about whether they like breasts or butts, a woman who testified about the party. (laughs) A woman testified about the party. There were only two women in the room, and I was very uncomfortable at that point. It was during that discussion that Kincaid turned his attention to another woman. He approached her, and he palmed her breasts and said, These are great tits! Oh, what? Jesus. (laughs) The painter of light says, These are great tits in the name of Christ. Oh my God. Man, it's like God made these. I'm going to put them in my mouth. Is that all right? Oh, man. Hold on. It's like these oh, this tits is... taste great, too. This is how I get inspired to paint. <laughs> He's becoming Bill Cosby a little now. <laughs> <laughs> these are some great tits. Kincaid testified in a deposition that excessive drinking and some normal rowdy talk had taken place, but he denied touching the woman. Look, you got to remember, I'm the idol of these women who were there. They sell my work every day, you know. They're enamored with my any attention I would give them. I don't know what kind of flirting they were trying to do with me. I don't recall what was going on that night. He wow. described himself as an average, hardworking guy who just happened to be a famous artist. And yeah. He do, and he said he doesn't take himself too seriously. Larry the Cable the Book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesi- oh, I don't know this one. Whatever. Ecclesiastes. And now my friend Michael, who, who we're, we might have on a podcast. Okay. Okay, so Michael who's a very smart man, reads a lot of history, listens to the podcast. Sounds like me. And he wants to come in and just have a third mic, and he'll correct every time. I oh, miss. yeah. That's fun. <laughs> That'll be a fun one. Maybe we can have him at a live one, and he would just correct every time. Oh, I, that'd be great. Yeah, because I get drunk of those, and I really fuck up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I should know this, because I've heard it said before by Christian people. But it, I, it, I know what words are... Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes? I think it's it that. It doesn't look like that, but whatever. Well, let's the just The book of Ecclesiastes says, enjoying yourself, have a glass of wine. For this is God's will for you. It's never consistent with God's will that we behave in a sinful way. However, God loves us and accepts us and understands that at times we have our failings. Yeah. So I might grab a woman's tits and have a shot. It's uh, such bullshit to be able to use you know I mean? religion as your cape. It's you know. Just, I'm just saying. I like titties. Look, God accepts us for our faults. I know I made millions and millions of dollars off of representing the good Christian faith, but so what? A tick got grabbed. Hey now, come on. God still loves me. That's God, what's great about that's, God. That's what's going on here. He used to be my art rep. <laughs> Before you know I made what? a vacuum cleaner. You know who you should bring into this deposition is God. He was my art rep for four years before I got involved with the vacuum gentleman. <laughs> the bailiff just holds the Bible and God just gives him a glare like, really? Really? Seriously? Sits down. You want to do this? 
In uh, March 2006, after the New York, after the L.A. Times article came out, along with the testimony, Kincaid accused, quote, disgruntled ex-dealers and a former employee of launching, quote, media attacks on him. But he also said he might have behaved badly during a stressful time, which is now behind him, mm-hmm. during which he had overindulged in food and drink and gained 50 pounds. Nobody's worried about the food you ate. The good news is I learned many valuable lessons from that phase of my life. With God's help and the support of my family and friends, I have returned balance to my life. And if you've seen me lately, you know I've lost over 50 pounds and I feel terrific. And 50 million. In 2009, Nanette staged an intervention for Kincaid with Ken Rush, one of the founding members of the company. Oh, no one knows what the result of the intervention was. Oh, God. After the I first, bet a tick got grabbed. But we know it failed. Yeah. After the first intervention failed, Nanette staged a second one in the spring of 2010, this time bringing her daughters with her, as well as Ken and Tom's brother, Patrick. With everyone present, she confronted Tom with the message, get sober or lose us. Tom was more than devastated. He was furious. Oh, boy. He was then forcibly led away by medical assistance and taken to a rehab facility, literally kicking and screaming. Oh, boy. That's how I want to go. Within a month, Tom was back to drinking, even (laughs) worse than before. Oh, man. Nanette filed for divorce, and they became legally separated. In June 2010... Kincaid was arrested on suspicion of drunk driving. In November of that year, Kincaid was at the Denver Broncos Stadium to unveil Mile High Thunder, (laughs) his painting for the Tim Tebow Foundation. Oh, God. Oh, my God. (laughs) I feel sick. I mean, and he must have gotten shit canned. Denver's a real fun place to get drunk. If people don't, yeah, right? Because of the altitude. Because if people don't know who Tim Tebow is, he is a guy who's not that good at football that is a Christian that just keeps getting jobs. Well, I will almost say, counter to that, he's also, the problem with him is that he is like a a media, like the media will go wherever he is because he has this Christian fan base. Yeah. But it that that's also part of the reason why teams will not have him on their squad right. because he's such a fucking distraction because right. of this and he's sort not, of and issue he's, he's created. He's no, not that and, good. He, and his game doesn't translate that well to yeah. the NFL. Uh, uh, so this is his uh, Denver and fans in Denver have been promised a thirty-minute in, inspirational speech <laughs> uh, presentation from Kincaid. Uh-huh. Oh boy, Dave, I feel like they might not have gotten that quote. This is how we started it. You ready? This is the start of his this speech. This is the opening of the speech. Oh, boy. I sneeze in public and I make a headline. Oh, my God, yes. America's most known, most beloved artist shows up at Orange County Hospital. He threw an all-day kids event. We hosted art contests. We gave art packages to all the kids. I talked to them about journaling their life and about creating something every day that makes statements. And we sent word out to every newspaper, come down, see this day joy, this kind of celebration. No one showed. But make one wrong step in public, and they put it on the front page. Get out and love Jesus. Was that no? I didn't. That, oh. he, I, he went on, but that, oh god, I thought that was it too. <laughs> I, was, I was like, "There's a lot." Can I pray for you all? You pray for me. God, can you imagine? I mean, you can't market yourself as the everyman when you say that you sneeze in public and you make a headline. Yeah, you just sound like a prick. Oh yeah, he, he, he almost sounds like the Kenny Powers of religion. <laughs> Holy shit. 
Oh fuck! No, at this point, he's he's no longer. There are no longer two Kincaids. There is one Kincaid, and yeah. it's just the bad Kincaid. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just he's we just have Mister Hyde now. Yeah, he's gone. Okay. Now. Tommy's gone. In December, Kincaid entered a no contest plea on his DUI charge. His blood alcohol level was twice the legal limit. He was sentenced to ten days in jail with a mandatory attendance at a nine-month DUI offender program, a fine of a thousand. $846 in five years of probation. In 2011, Kincaid took a trip to Italy. Business partner and biographer Eric Kusky wrote, A few days into the trip Kincaid took to Italy in the middle of 2011, CEO John Hastings received a phone call at his office. Oh God. On the other line was a young girl crying so hysterically that he could hardly understand what she was saying. He finally managed to grasp that something had gone terribly wrong. Tom had been drinking heavily, and he was out of control. Apparently, he hadn't moved in his bed for two days, and the girl was afraid for his life. Okay, a couple of things here. A couple of things. Two days? Two days. Two days? He's been passed out for... You didn't think after, I don't know, 10 hours or whatever, eight hours, that you might call someone? Also, how about a hospital? You're fucking calling this the fucking CEO of the company she must in just, America? She You're read, in Italy? She just read Ted Kennedy's biography. <laughs> she probably tried an exorcism first, though, in her defense. <laughs> Hastings asked the girl if Tom was breathing, and she said yes. John Hastings drove straight to the San Francisco airport to take the next nonstop flight to Italy. As John entered Tom's suite, he was hit by a smell of booze, sweat, and urine. Ugh. Well, he was marking. Well, that's all God's it's stuff. territory marking. But yeah, he's marking, but also God made all it's that. It's his room. He's allowed to mark yeah. it. I'm, gonna, I'm surprised there wasn't shit. Yeah. The curtains were drawn, and the girl was huddled in a cor- corner, curled up in a fetal position, quietly crying. Oh, my God. This is just a good date. This is not a good date. Hey, you want to go to Italy with me? We're going to have some fun. I mean, you, you know like what fun? this girl pictured? Oh, my God, Italy. We're going to oh see, see the Italy. Vatican. We'll see the Coliseum. Oh, my God, he'll draw a painting of me. Oh, my God, he's just dead from wine. What the fuck? It's Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> um, John approached the bed where Tom lay naked, motionless, and soiled. Oh, God. Two empty whiskey bottles stood on the bedside table, and one nearly empty was clutched in his hand. Oh, Jesus. John picked up Tom's 300-pound frame and dragged him naked into the bathroom where he began to wash his body in the bathtub like Christ would have done. Yeah, just like Jesus just went. Just like, yeah, yeah, this is a Jesus moment. Tom slowly came to as the girl hurriedly packed their belongings in the other room. John got him down to the lobby by pushing him on a luggage cart I mean, that's awesome. Uh, I mean, again, as dislikable as this guy is, (laughs) if you picture the movie, it's pretty good. When the valet... This is a great comedy starring Zach Galifianakis, Yes, isn't it? Yes. When the valet brought up the rented Mercedes, it was covered in dent, dancing scratches on all sides. The girl explained that Tom had driven the winding coastal road drunk for days, a bottle wedged between his legs, Repeatedly smashing into low stone walls and guardrails of steep cliffs in Portofino, nearly plummeting them down to the shore. Tom, John Hastings, and the girl boarded the next plane and flew back to California, where Hastings made sure to get both Tom and the girl safely home. Only weeks later, Tom ended up in a hospital bed from alcohol poisoning. Really? Tom Kincaid? I know. What? 
For two weeks, he had no use of his limbs and no sensation in his body, which had gone into toxic shock. He drank himself to the level of coming back from space. (laughs) That's a lot of bourbon. Uh, It took took two weeks of detoxing before he slowly regained the feeling and use of his arms and legs. What? I didn't know you could do that by drinking. I mean, mean, that's an alcoholic. Oh, my God. That (laughs) is like... All hail King Drunk. I mean, he wins Alcoholic of the Century. Yes. yes. I can't feel... How drunk am I? It's how drunk I am. I can't move, you son of a bitch. I ain't got no arms and legs that do nothing. They're floppy. You numb your arms. They're floppy. Uh, from the L.A. Times, April 6, 2012. Thomas Kincaid, whose luminous paintings formed the basis of a wide-reaching commercial empire, has died. Kincaid, 54, died at his Los Gatos home Friday, according to a spokesman for his family. Tom provided a wonderful life for his family, his wife, Danette, said in a statement to the San, San Jose Mercury She's News. She's good. We are shocked and saddened by his death. Family spokesman David Satterfield said the death appeared to be from natural causes. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, mash. Uh, The LA Times, May 7, 2012 Famed artist Thomas Kincaid died of an accidental overdose of alcohol and Valium According to autopsy autopsy findings It also revealed chronic ailments and a large heart and a fatty liver Along with numerous blunt force injuries Probably caused by frequent drunken falls Oh my god January 14, 2015 The Thomas Kincaid Company announces a change in ownership from the Kincaid Family Trust to Art Brand Studios, an affiliated entity of Next Point Capital, a Los Angeles-based private equity firm. The managing partner of Next Point Capital, Mark Nicholson, has a long-term relationship with the Kincaid family and the Thomas Kincaid brand. He, has, uh, he had also previously been an investor in the company. February 9th, 2015, the Star-Telegram, Fort Worth, Texas. Executives with the Dream Vision Company revealed conceptual plans Monday for a $3.5 billion park in North Texas, but left some big questions unanswered. CEO Rick Salinkas said Dream Vision has chosen a site, but he declined to say whether the land is under contract. He wouldn't say where the park will be built, but said it's slated to open in 2020 after three years of construction. Paintings from the late Thomas Kincaid will influence how the park is designed, and Dream Vision has partnered with the Kincaid Company, Kincaid had met with them in 2011, said John Hastings, CEO. Not one of the company's licensing partners ended its involvement with the brand following Kincaid's death. Hallmark has seen double-digit growth, and Kincaid remains the top-selling painter of Disney images. The May 2014 issue of Global License places Kincaid at number 81 on the list of best-selling licensed brands, with $425 million in annual sales. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> They're building the Disneyland of him? Yes. He already did that with a cul-de-sac. <laughs> oh, my God. I almost spit all over the microphone. What, what, what is the theory point, behind this? They're building a $3.5 billion park. For what? Chris, for, it's a Christian Disneyland. You know what's fucked up? It's going to do great. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be amazing. It's going to do great. They're all acting like none of this happened. They're, they're, they just see the paintings and they go, oh, Christ made this. And they don't give a shit about the monster that was behind it. The, the alcoholic. 
Like the guy who drank the himself WC to death. Fields behind the magic. Yeah, the guy who was in so much pain from his daddy leaving him when he was six, who was also an alcoholic. The guy who clearly has an inherited alcoholic disease. Yeah. Who just lived who a double... Who drank his limbs numb. Who, who lit a, lived a double life, and even and even when he wasn't drinking, he was just fucking running a Ponzi scheme on all these gallery owners yeah. and bilking people out of millions of dollars. Yeah. They're going to build a fucking Christian theme park around that guy. They're not stopping. They're just going to go forward like none of it fucking happened. Yeah, no. I, I mean, there should be the wing of truth in the park. <laughs> There should just be a nice little just wing. A, a copy of his bloated corpse. Yeah, there's and just it's, a it's fucking halfway down a, a, some stairs. There's just a, they, what they should do is recreate the scene of the shower in Italy. They should just have a shit-soaked piece of garbage then, in a shower with his best friend trying to clean him with a luggage cart waiting to get him downstairs like a wheelchair, while a girl cries in the fetal position in the corner amongst a bottle of empty uh, booze, and empty booze bottle. And there's a mist that sprays odor into the room. That's yeah, just so urine that just, and sweat and yeah, shit and yeah, puke. Yeah. Yeah, you just have a little button. If you want to smell what the room smelled like, hit this button. And- it should be at the very end of the park. Like you go through all the park, yeah. the one thing, and then at the very tail end, there's just a little door, and you yeah. go in. It's just the hotel room. Yeah, 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 where you just get to see the last scene. Oh, my God. Fuck me. I mean, seriously. Well, I mean, it, uh, it'll do great. It'll do great. It will do great. It'll do great. It's going to fucking do great. It'll do great. It's just... Get us booked at this fucking comedy club already. What's taking so long? It's weird that a bunch of people who basically believe in Jesus, who is a real person who did change water into wine and who did heal the sick and who did come back after uh, dying. It's weird that they would then put all their belief in a guy who was just a jerk. Yeah, it's not saying that you can't be religious. Yeah, but it's, it's saying that you have to be real. But- and you just have to like, like if we live in a society where religion is a veil for any, any wrongdoing, it's, that's when religion is problematic. That's why it's, that's, it's just right there. Like you could easily have your faith and buy all these dumb fucking paintings that you want but you also need to acknowledge that this guy ended his life like Jim Morrison. But I would argue that this guy killed himself because because he created such a false image of who he was. And and each thing he did that got revealed put another crack in it and he couldn't fucking take the lie he'd created. Yeah, I would, I little would, did he know he was in a crackless fucking eggshell. That it didn't yeah. matter. That any that no matter what no. he did, it didn't. Ma- it really didn't matter. At the end of the day, they're going to build a fucking theme park about you. Yeah, he could have been caught fucking monkeys on the top of the Empire State Building, and people have been like, "Oh, it's okay. He likes Jesus. Aww. he's doing it for the Lord." Well, I hope you feel better about it. Oh, I feel great, Dave. Yeah, it's and uh, everyone, get ready for pool tales. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pool tales coming on, coming this week. The smallop. All right, uh, please do leave a uh, review of the dollop on iTunes. It turns out that does actually help. Someone lied to us. Uh, so please, Thomas Kincaid. Thomas Kincaid. So please go leave that. Uh, it'll help us out a lot with a bunch of you know fucking nonsense shit. But it it jacks up our our ratings and all that when you leave a review. That's stupid. What are you saying that? Are you saying that ratings should just be based on how many people listen to you? No, 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 no that's not no. how it works. It should be the diligence of the listener. Yeah, the diligence of the listener. So <laughs> please go uh, leave a review in the iTunes uh, store. Uh, thank you. Gary loves you. It's Gareth. Hmm. 
Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun half hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.